in most churches, there are those who are faithful. There are those who, who keep loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. They keep staying faithful to Christ. They keep holding fast to Christ's name. They keep patiently enduring. They keep do, serving and doing good works. And I think it's easy to, to think that when, when you are faithful and you keep enduring and you keep persevering and you keep serving and keep doing good works and you keep loving and you keep holding to, to faithful teaching, wonder, does, does anybody know, does anybody care, does anybody, does anybody pay attention to that? And also, in most churches, those who are unfaithful, those who are morally compromised, those who are listening to false teaching and, and giving into it, maybe even spreading it. There are those who are, who are not persevering in faithfulness, but instead they're morally compromised. They're compromising with the surrounding culture. They're compromising with, uh, with the world. And they think that nobody knows. They think that, that nobody is paying attention. Nobody cares. I think nobody knows. Jesus knows. If you're faithful and you're serving and you're persevering and you're enduring and you're, you're doing good works and you're holding the sound doctrine and you're, you keep doing what is right no matter what happens around you, Jesus knows that. Jesus sees that. Jesus is, commends that. Jesus is ready to come and strengthen you in that. Jesus praises you for that. And if other people don't know, but you're sinfully compromised, if you are given to error and even false teaching, if you're spreading that, if your life is not filled with love, if you're not persevering in, in good works or good deeds, if you're, not, if you're not faithful, other people may not know. Jesus knows. So I hope you'll see today. Jesus knows those who are faithful. And Jesus knows those who are unfaithful. And all authority has been handed over to Jesus Christ to judge even those who are in the church, to reward those who are faithful, and to judge those who are unfaithful. Today we're going to be in Revelation 2. Revelation 2. And what we'll see first is the church that is compromised. The church that is compromised. Revelation 2, we're going to start with verse 12. Revelation 2, starting with verse 12. The church that is compromised. The church that is compromised. Start with verse 12, Revelation 2, start with verse 12, read through verse 17. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. We're looking at three churches today. I think a, a little bit there, there are seven churches addressed in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and kind of think a little bit about the way that John has structured it. The, the first church and the last church are churches that have been unfaithful and to a degree to where they are, they are almost 
almost going to be extinct. They're going to, be, they're going to cease to be churches. They're going to be, cease to represent Jesus Christ in the world. The, then there's the second church and the second to the last church. These are faithful churches, churches that Jesus has no rebuke for. They are faithful in love. They are faithful to hold fast to Jesus' name in persecution. And, and they are faithful to Jesus Christ. Then you have these three in the middle, which are a mixture of those who are unfaithful and those who are faithful, of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And you can kind of pick up something just from that, that most churches, we, we certainly, we, we would love to be, we, we pray that God would make us like those churches that hold fast to God's word and where, where there's nothing for Jesus to say against us and where we are, we are persevering and in acts of love toward one another. We want to be those churches. We certainly don't want to be those churches. They're about to go extinct. But most churches are a mixture of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. That should tell us something. Maybe we need to moderate our expectations of church. We're, the church is not going to be pure or perfect in this age. That doesn't mean we should be dissatisfied, or, or I'm sorry, we, that we should be satisfied with unfaithfulness. Jesus is clearly not satisfied or accepting of unfaithfulness. It's just simply from a human point of view, there's an expectation that there, there's going to be faithfulness and there's going to be unfaithfulness, and we should prepare ourselves for that. Better be, to be prepared for that and be able to deal with, with church life realistically that way so that we will, will not be taken off guard. That is, if other people around us are being unfaithful, that's, that means nothing to us. We're going to be faithful. We knew it was going to be this way. We should know that it's going to be this way. We need to be faithful to Jesus Christ no matter what. Now, the background for Jesus' addresses to these seven churches is the vision in chapter 1. He takes an element from that vision in chapter 1 and applies it to each of these churches. And this one, it is that Jesus is the one who has the two-edged sword. That is, he is the one who, who is the one who judges. As, as God brought the world into creation, into existence, by his word, by speaking, so Jesus Christ has all authority to speak and to judge by his word. This is ominous and threatening for the church in, in Pergamum. And Jesus begins to speak to them. And he first gives them a commendation. He says, I know where you dwell. I know where you live, where Satan dwells. It probably says this because there are at least two uh, temple cults in the city of Pergamum. There's a, a temple to Asclepius. That's the god of healing. You have to imagine that a lot of people would make their way there. Uh, there's also a shrine to, to Zeus. There, there, there's a lot of pagan idolatrous worship in Pergamum. This is the place where Satan dwells. And Jesus knows where they live. You ever feel like God doesn't know about your circumstances or maybe doesn't care about your circumstances? And, and you, people will often think, they'll, they'll say to themselves and maybe to other people, you don't, you don't know what my home is like or you don't know my wor- what my work is like or you don't know what my neighborhood is like or you don't know what my church is like. You don't, you don't know what my circumstances are. You don't know what my life is like. Jesus knows what your life is like. Jesus knows what your work is like. He knows what your family is like. He knows all the troubles that you have in every way. He knows all the temptations and the enticements of the world that you're facing. He knows, he knows about how hard it is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. He knows where you are. He knows where you dwell. And all through, all in this city that is where Satan dwells, Jesus commends them. He says, 
you've held fast to my name. You didn't give up holding to my name. You were faithful to, to be a witness to me and to, to stay true to my name. You, you kept on believing in Jesus Christ even when it was difficult. Even when Antipas, who was a faithful witness to Jesus Christ even when he was killed. Maybe Antipas was maybe even a leader in the church. This is often what happens when this kind of blatant persecution erupts in a city or in a region or in a where one of the pastors was taken, imprisoned, even killed. What does that do to the rest of the, the congregation? It's a little chilling. But the church in Pergamum stayed faithful to the Lord. The church in Pergamum kept holding to Jesus Christ. It wasn't afraid to hold to the name of Jesus Christ. But, look at verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Balaam was a false prophet in the Old Testament. He was a false prophet who was, who was notable for giving false prophecies in exchange for money. And a guy named Balak, a king of the Moabites, had, had called uh, out Balaam and was ready to pay him money to curse the Israelites. God wouldn't let him do that. God, uh, Balaam tried, wanted to curse the Israelites, but God wouldn't allow him. Instead, he had to speak a blessing over them because God so controlled him and kept him from speaking a curse over the Israelites. So Balaam came up with another idea, and the other idea was, was send out the women from Moab and, and try to entice the Israelites to come into pagan worship and to engage in sexual immorality, and that's what they did. This is probably the same kind of error that is associated with the, the teachings of the Nicolaitans that we'll read about in these chapters. That is, they were saying to the, to the Christians in the churches, hey, it's okay to go and engage with these, this, these pagan festivals. It's okay to go to these pagan feasts. It's okay to go and eat and worship these things. And sometimes sexual immorality in, in Revelation is metaphorical for, for religious unfaithfulness. But the same way that religious unfaithfulness, idolatry, and sexual immorality went together in the era of Balaam, so it often goes together in many of these pagan cults and pagan rituals and pagan feasts. John is writing, Jesus is saying to these churches, I, I know I have some things against you. I have some things against you where you are holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans and you are compromising with the culture. You are compromising with the world. I think here we see what tribulation is like for some churches. Tribulation or persecution or difficulty it does not always take the form of blatant imprisonment and putting people to death. Often it comes as, as the, the pressure and the enticement of a, of a surrounding society, of a surrounding culture that, that puts pressure on Christians and entices Christians to compromise. Jesus says, I know all about where you are. I know all about all the, all the idolatry. I know that there are some who are, who are putting pressure on you and enticing you to conform to the ways of their, their pagan religion and their pagan culture. Even though Jesus knows where we are, though, that does not give us an excuse for compromise. Jesus does not excuse our compromise. He holds us accountable. He holds us responsible for our actions. Jesus knows where we dwell. He also knows about our works. And he does not tolerate, he does not mean for us to tolerate compromise with worldliness. So he only has one word. Verse 16. Therefore, repent. 
Jesus has one word for those who are compromising with the world. Those who are trying to find some halfway measure so they can fit in with the world and fit in with God. They want to be friends with the world and friends with God. You cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. You cannot serve the world and serve God. He says one word, repent. The expectation is is that if you have morally compromised or if you have been compromising with the surrounding culture, that if you repent, that Jesus Christ is ready to forgive our sins. Jesus Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there is a requirement on our part. There is a demand on our part that we would repent and that we would turn away from these morally compromised or sinfully compromised works. He requires that we would repent, that we would turn away from these things. He says, if not, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. Do you know that Jesus is ready to judge even the unfaithful within the churches? Within local churches where, where sometimes people are, are, are maybe getting by and people, people don't know about their unfaithfulness or, or people don't seem to tolerate their unfaithfulness. Jesus does not. Jesus knows. And Jesus is able to come in judgment and what what we'll see, at least we'll see some indication, normally we would think of Jesus as judging only at his final return or his second return, at his second coming. But there are indications that Jesus is even able to judge in the present. That he will come against these churches and he will war against them with the sword of his mouth. He will come against them with judgment. And so have an ear to hear. That is... Be spiritually attuned. Be, have spiritual hearing. The Spirit of God gives to, his, to, to God's people an ear to hear the truth. Hear it. Hear what the Spirit is saying. These are the Spirit-inspired words of God. This is, what, this is what God, the Spirit, worked to have written down. This is what the Spirit enlightens us to understand. Have an ear to hear. And if you do says that Jesus, to the one who conquers, the one who conquers by endurance, I will give some of the hidden manna, I will give him a white stone. I think against the background of this, these pagan feasts in Pergamum, Jesus is saying, don't go to these pagan feasts. Instead, if you, if you abstain from these pagan feasts, if you resist this worldliness, if you resist these, these enticements to pagan feasts, then you'll come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus Christ is called the bread from heaven. Jesus in John 6 told, told the, the people who are following him, don't seek the manna that Moses gave. Don't seek manna in the wilderness. Don't seek, don't seek bread in the wilderness out here with me. Instead, seek the bread that is from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus Christ is saying, if, if you'll abstain, if you'll avoid, if you'll, if you'll stay separated from these, this pagan idolatry, then you will eat with me at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which Revelation tells us about. We will eat with Jesus Christ. We will feast with Jesus Christ. But if you feast with the world, you cannot feast with Christ. You cannot serve two masters. You can't go to two feasts. You can either feast with the world or you can feast with Christ. Jesus says, if you conquer, if you continue, then you'll feast with me. Similarly with the white stone, I think the best explanation for the white stone is that white stones were often given as forms of invitation. And you would go and you would submit your invitation for a chance to go to one of these banquets or to go to a wedding feast. 
Jesus says, I'll give you a white stone to the marriage supper of the Lamb if you conquer, if you endure, if you stay faithful to me. You'll be invited to feast with me and to live with me and to know joy with me. And that last part where he says, I'll give them a new name which nobody knows. Oftentimes what happens is that somebody uh, who enters into a, a new sacred bond with God, a new covenantal bond, a new relationship with God in the Old Testament. They have, they have a, they, they're given a new name. So Abram's name is changed to Abraham or Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And in some place like Isaiah 62, God says through the prophet Isaiah that he will give to his people a new name. That is, this indicates a, a new relationship with God, a special relationship with God, a, a sacred bond with God where we have fellowship with him, where he accepts us, where we are his people. We are his special possession. We are a holy nation. We are a royal people to him. We have been made a kingdom and a priest to God through Jesus Christ. If we conquer, if we continue to hold fast to Jesus' name, then we'll, we'll have access to God. We'll sit and eat with God. We'll feast with God. We will know God. We will be invited to that great last feast, that marriage supper, that never-ending feast with Jesus Christ. So we've seen the, the church that is compromised. Next we see the church that tolerates false teaching. Pick up in verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Again, from the vision in the beginning, there's this Jesus has eyes of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. This, is, this symbolizes the, the purifying and the purging effect that Jesus Christ has. He intends to come to the church in Thyatira and purify it. He will purge it from all those who are unfaithful. He intends for them to work, to, to no longer tolerate those who are teaching false doctrine. When he says, he starts with this commendation to the church in Thyatira. He says, I know your works. Your love and your faith. These are really the two big parts of, of the Christian life in, in the book of Revelation. That we would hold fast to Jesus Christ. That we would continue in faith in Jesus Christ. And that we would continue to do good works. And he even says to them, I know that your latter works are even greater than your first works. We saw with the church in Ephesus, that very first church in, in chapter 2. That they had abandoned their first love. That they were no longer loving one another the way they had at first. But here Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira... Your faith and love, they're, they're even better than they were at the beginning. 
May God say that about our church. I hope that, that down the line, 10 years from now, he'll be, Jesus will be looking at us and saying, your, your faith and love are even more than they were at first. But he says, I have something against you. This is what I have against you. He says, you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. This is a so-called prophetess. She's probably teaching something along the lines of the Nicolaitans. She's probably teaching something along the lines of, yes, you can go, go and engage. We know the, the deep things of, of Satan. That's probably, what, it's probably not what they would have called it. That's what Jesus calls it. She's a kind of a connoisseur of worldliness. We, we, know, we know secret things, deep things. We, we know that, that who the real God is. We know who Jesus is. And, and we, we can believe those things, but we can still engage in idol worship. And we can still engage in pagan feasts. And we can still engage in sexual immorality. We can still do these things, and that's okay. We know that there's only one God. We know there's only one Savior, but we can still live like this. Those are the deep things of Satan. Those are, that is a satanic thought in origin. There are always those who are kind of, kind of they, they, they almost seem to want to stand above society and stand above culture and maybe engage in, in wickedness and immorality. But they're, they're just sort of, they're, they're appreciators of immorality. We're either with Jesus Christ and faithful to him or we're not. There's no compromise allowed. There's no compromise permitted. Jesus says, you're listening to that woman Jezebel. You're listening to that false prophet. Now, look, look at the word that he uses. It says, you tolerate. And there's some forms of tolerance that are okay. There's forms of patience and keeping peace. Some of us have personality flaws and idiosyncrasies. And we have difficulty with some people. Some people are difficult to, hard to get along with. Thank you guys for putting up with me. I appreciate that. Praise God for that. It's a form of, of patience. There are other forms of tolerance that are not right. That we would tolerate immorality. That we would tolerate false teaching in our church. That we would tolerate egregious sin in our church. God teaches us, the scriptures teach us, do not tolerate that in your midst. Do not tolerate false teaching. Do not tolerate this kind of egregious sin. Do not tolerate it. Don't, don't d- shut, down, shut down that teacher. I have it against, it's not just those who are engaging in the compromise who are at fault here. It is also, also those who are tolerating the false teaching. This is a form of tolerance that we're not supposed to have. This is a wrong kind of tolerance. Do not tolerate false teaching. Do not tolerate this kind of immorality. He says, I've given her time to repent. He gives all these churches time to repent. He gives them warnings. He gives them opportunities to repent. Praise God that he is patient. He's willing to to give people time to repent. But she will not. We have to realize that this is where some people are. They will not repent. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. She refuses to stop doing what's wrong. At some point, this is where some people get to. They refuse to repent. They've been given time to repent. They've been given warnings to repent. And they refuse to repent. Please don't be that way. Please don't harden your heart against the Lord. Please don't harden your heart against his warnings of, of repentance. Therefore, repent. Some people, I think, I think as soon as they even hear the word repent, they, they, they automatically draw back from that. To be warned, to be told to repent, though, is, is a gracious and kind patience from God. 
repent before something more, something bad comes against you. And this is really the best indication that we see that Jesus is able to judge in the presence. In the present. Not just at the end, but in the present. You know, in Acts chapter 5, God struck Ananias and Sapphira down dead because of their lie. In 1 Corinthians 11, some people have died because they are taking the, the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In James 5, there, it, there are people who are sick, and it seems like their, their sickness is tied in some way to sin. Not all sickness is tied to sin, but in some way theirs is. Jesus says, I'm going to come against this Jezebel, against this false teacher, against this so-called prophetess, and I'm going, to, I'm going to throw her down on her sickbed. I'm going to strike some of her children dead. That is, that is probably those who are listening to her teaching. I'm going to strike them dead. Be warned. Yes, it's interesting. I, I think in the past decade or maybe a little more, maybe I think it probably always happens. That you've, you've seen some notable false teachers brought down and probably lots of less well-known false teachers have been brought down. We should see that and be warned by that. We maybe have a suspicion that that's not just something that happened. But the God who controls all things, he ordained that. And he wanted to make it clear. And look at what Jesus says there. All the churches, this is verse 23. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. When we see that, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Know Jesus Christ is the one who searches minds and hearts. I may not know. Nobody else in the church might know. Nobody else around you might know. Jesus knows. Jesus searches minds and hearts. Jesus is able to come in judgment against those who do wrong. Jesus is able to purify the church. He is the one who walks among the lampstands. He's the one, he is the one who has, who has authority over them. He's the one who, who tends and shapes and, and works to keep the, the lampstands burning, the churches shining the light of, of Jesus Christ and of the gospel. Jesus knows and he is ready to purify his church. He says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to this teaching, I don't lay anything else on you. Only hold fast to what you have. Isn't that refreshing? Jesus is not coming and laying some, some extra burden on the, the church in Thyatira, on the faithful within Thyatira. I think some Christians are not satisfied with simple faith and love. Kind of want super works, maybe some super duper works, some super duper ludicrous awesome works. Jesus says, only hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to faith. To my name, in my name. Hold fast to love. Is, is, that, is that hard? I think, think maybe we underestimate how hard that can be. How, how great the pressure can be. Is that enough to cause suffering in your life? Yes, it is. In some places and sometimes, is it enough to even get you killed? It is. Hold fast to faith in Jesus Christ, though. Hold fast to loving one another. Hold fast 
what I've given you. Hold fast to, to it until I come. And then Jesus says, and the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, until the end. Yeah, notice that Thyatira, their, their works were, were increasing. Notice in, in Pergamum that the, the church was faithful even in the time of Antipas, but, but past works are no guarantee of future fruitfulness. You have to keep the works until the end. Be faithful to the end. Endure to the end. Persevere until the end. But to the one who stays until the end, who keeps his works until the end, I will give him the authority, give him authority over the nations. And I think verse 27 is a, is a loose, loose quote of Psalm 2. He will rule them with a rod of iron, so when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. That is, Jesus Christ is the Son. He is the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one spoken about in Psalm 2, the one who has given all authority. The nations may rage against him. The nations may come against him. Jesus Christ has authority over all nations. And he rules over all nations. And those who persevere, those who endure to the end, they will reign with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has caused us to become a kingdom. He has constituted us a kingdom and a priest to God. And he says, if you persevere, I will give him the morning star. Jesus Christ is the one later on in the book of Revelation who is spoken of as the, the morning star. He's the star in Numbers 24 who, who comes out of that, that prophecy from Balaam that God put into this false prophet's mouth, mouth that talked about the star that would arise from Israel, that scepter that would arise in Israel. Jesus Christ is the morning star. He gives himself to us as king. If we have Jesus Christ as king, then we live in Jesus' kingdom. And if we're in Jesus' kingdom, then we have Jesus as our king. We have Jesus Christ. If we have Jesus Christ, then we have all things. We have an inheritance of a kingdom. We will live in peace and joy and love forever if we have Jesus as our king. Lastly, we're going to look at the church that is almost dead. The church that's about to die. Look at Revelation chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. The church that's about to die. Jesus says, And to the angels, angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name, blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 1, the, the seven spirits is the Spirit of God. The seven angels are the, the, the angels that are both the representatives and the messengers for these churches. What Jesus is saying is that to this dead church, all of the resources of heaven are available to you, are behind you to give you life. 
If you'll wake up, then I'll give you life. The Spirit is here. Angels, all of heaven is behind you. All of heaven is ready to give you support. But he says, I know, I know who you really are, church. The church in Sardis, I know that you have, a, you have a reputation for being alive. You're really dead. You know, we might have a reputation for being alive, or we might have a reputation for being dead. I'm not sure. To you other human beings, to those who are outsiders or insiders, or uh, in, to human eyes, I, I, don't, I don't know if we'd be alive, we'd be dead. It, it doesn't matter what other people think about us. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. What matters is the judgment of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ say about us? Does he call us alive or dead? And we ought to recognize that this ought to, to shape and, and cause us to rethink the way that we think about other churches. Oftentimes people are influenced by churches that appear to be, appear to be alive, appear to have apparent success. If there are good things to imitate, then yes, we ought to imitate it. But it may be that there are churches, many fashionable and apparently successful churches, that seem to be alive, have a reputation for being alive, when in fact they are dead. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I have wake up and strengthened what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. That's a scary thing to hear. We may measure up to other people. We may measure up in the eyes of, of other human beings. Other people might think highly of us. We may measure up to them. What matters, though, is whether or not we measure up to Jesus Christ. Does he call us faithful? Does he say that we're doing what's right? Does he say that we're holding to his name and, and persevering in good works? Are we keeping his works until the end? What matters is what Jesus says. The church in Smyrna was small. The church in Smyrna was persecuted. These other, these other people are, in some places, the, the, the good people here in Smyrna, the faithful people here, are in the minority. What matters, though, what matters is what Jesus says. What matters is what Jesus knows about us. He says, remember, you've forgotten. You could go, you could do a whole, you could do a whole summary of the whole Bible just talking about people forgetting and remembering. Israel so often forgot the Lord. Even those who are in the church forget the Lord. Jesus says, remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Remember the apostolic deposit given from Jesus Christ by the Spirit through the apostles to the church. Remember the gospel. Remember the teaching of God's word. Keep it and repent. Keep it. If not, if you won't wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you'll not be ready. You won't know what time I'll come. Now, when Jesus says this in Matthew 24, it's almost certainly about the, the end. But as we've seen, it indicated Jesus is able to come in judgment against anyone at any time. People can be sort of cruising along in deadness boasting in their reputation and then Jesus comes on them 
Jesus knows, Jesus comes. He says there's still some, just a few, there's still a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there's a curious verse in the book of Ephesians that the whole, the whole book sort of turns on. You know, the first part of Ephesians, Paul talks about how God has ordained salvation for his people and how he secured sal- salvation through Jesus Christ and how salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. Keep saying that. He says, says something along those lines. For, for everybody who has faith in Jesus Christ is saved. They're saved by faith in Jesus and not by good works. And then Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says... Walk worthy of the calling that you've received. I think we should be reading this the same way that we're reading Ephesians 4.1. We know this ultimately to the praise of God's glorious grace that any of us are saved. We know this because of the reconciling blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross that we're saved. We know that salvation is because of Jesus' death for us. is completely of God's grace and not because of our works. And yet, God calls us to walk worthy. To not soil our garments. To not compromise with the world. And if we will not soil our garments with immorality or with false teaching, then we will walk in white. Jesus Christ will clothe us with wedding garments. Ready to sit with him and to feast with him. How nice it would be to have some nice new clothes. Some nice clothes that never wear out and never get soiled, soiled, never have to be washed. That last for eternity the same way that we will feast and live in joy with Jesus Christ for eternity. If we hold fast, if we don't soil our garments. He says there at the end, he says, I'll never blot their names out of the book of life. Our names are written in the book of life. It doesn't mean that they can be blotted out or that they can be deleted. He's just saying, you're there, and you're secure, and you're safe. And if you, if, uh, and God will confess, Jesus will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Those angels that are the seven stars, the angels that are, are there. If we acknowledge Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ will acknowledge us to the Father. He's the one that we need to mediate. He's the one that we need to stand in for us. He's the one that we, he, we need to, to introduce us into acceptance with God. Hold to him. Conquer by enduring in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And hold on and keep his works to the end. These churches are mixed They're a mix of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Odds are, there's a mix of faithfulness and unfaithfulness here in our church. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to what the Spirit says. Turn away from from false teaching. Turn Turn away from compromise with the world. Turn away from compromise with worldliness. And devote yourself to Jesus Christ. Devote yourself to faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And hold to him and his works until the end. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we praise you. Uh, 
we praise Christ for his power to judge. We revere him and stand in awe of him and wish to please him. Please forgive us for our sins. Please strengthen us to repent and to live. Please grant that those who are far from you, those who are compromising the world today, that you would grant them repentance to turn away from from idolatry, to turn away from sexual immorality, to turn away from all that is wrong, to hold fast to Christ, to keep his works until the end. Please strengthen us. Please strengthen our entire church so that we would be pure, that Jesus Christ would, would purify us and purge us of all that is evil and all that is wicked and all that is unrighteous or unfaithful, that we would hold Hold fast to his words that we would remember what we have heard and hold fast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.